Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about something that I think is really important as far as how you view your child's anxiety or OCD and how you help your child view it. So I want to talk about, one, the importance of empowering our kids to work on their anxiety or OCD themselves, and how we move from just addressing those symptoms that we're seeing that can be very overwhelming to having a mindset of, I am going to raise this little human being to be able to tackle their genetic predisposition or their genetic curse to anxiety or OCD so they can live a happy, healthy, wonderful life. And that is a shift in thinking because I think a lot of times when we are in the throes of seeing symptoms, and I get this with my three kids with anxiety and OCD, that we want to cure it. We want to fix it. We want it to go away as fast as humanly possible. And we have to shift our thinking, even when we're in the, the chaotic initial phases of understanding anxiety and OCD, to realize that we have to shift our parental perspective and our parental approaches on a permanent basis. So I'm going to tell you how to do that, how to tweak it, and the areas that I think are really important. Before I dive into today's podcast episode, I want to give you some updates on what's been going on in the AT Parenting Survival world. I am coming out with my new brand new three-part video series on survival tips for parents who are raising kids with anxiety or OCD. I'm going to go over some of the really important survival tools. I'm going to give you some quick hacks on how to get some progress right away, even if your child is completely unwilling to participate in anything that you do. So I hope you'll join me for that. If you want to sign up, you can text the word survival tools to the number 44222, or I will leave a link in the show notes so that you can join us. It will be fun. We're going to do it for like a week and a half. I have a Facebook group that I have created just for this series so that we can all really just dive deep into the topic. And I hope you'll join me over there. Okay. Let's talk about empowering our kids. So I want to start with the why, because I need your buy-in. I really feel like There is a huge difference long-term in a child's progress when, well, let me back up. I've been a child anxiety and OCD therapist for over two decades. (laughs) I feel very old. And so that's kind of been interesting because lately, as I'm getting very, very old, I am seeing kids like grow up. So I'm seeing kids who maybe I saw when they were you know, in fifth grade, now I'm seeing them in college or I'm seeing kids that I saw in high school. And now they're like in their late twenties or early thirties. Like I'm starting to see long-term progress or lack of progress with the people that I see, because I do have this rule in my therapy practice where if I've seen you as a child, I will always see you. My door is always open. And so that opens the door for people who are adults to come back because we have a history together so I can help them. And in doing that, I am starting to collect some mental data of which kids grew up to be really successful, 
because sometimes they just want to come back and tell me, hey, Natasha, guess what? I became a therapist too, which is super cool. Or, hey, Natasha, I just wanted to tell you thank you. Or, hey, Natasha, you know, I just want to make sure that my kids do well. So some of them are just coming back to share their wins with me. Some of them just need a tune-up and some are not doing well. And what I've noticed in my mental data collecting so far is the difference in the parental view when I worked with the parents and how they approach their child's anxiety or OCD. So the ones that approached it like it needed to be cured and they their own anxiety was really revved up and they wanted it to end. And as soon as the symptoms that were like the front burner symptoms died down, they canceled all their appointments and they were like good to go. I don't think people have to live in therapy. So that's not my point because I don't think that you have to have the support of a therapist per se to make huge headway in helping your child with anxiety or OCD. It's nice to have the support. And if you have access to it and you can find really good quality therapy, you should, if that's something that will really help you. But not every child wants to see a therapist and not every parent can afford it. And so I am a huge proponent of parents learning the skills themselves. Even if they have a therapist, I feel like we cannot be complacent and sit back and let a therapist take the steering wheel with our kids because the magic happens in the in-between. It happens in the in-between of the sessions. It happens in the you know, 11 p.m. crisis that you're dealing with, or it happens in the constant questions of reassurance that you're getting. And so you need to become your own expert. So the parents that have approached the anxiety and OCD in a lifestyle shift were the ones that had kids that did really well long-term. And the parents that focused on it as an illness or a cold that needed to be cured, or they were so overwhelmed that as soon as those early symptoms were gone, they would not want to bring it up because they'd be like, let's not rock the boat. Everything's going so well until the boat got rocked again. And so they were kind of crisis oriented. They only focused, they went from one crisis to calmness to another crisis with no proactive behavior in between. Don't be like that. (laughs) So that's the why. The why is really important that I always equate it to diabetes. You know, Actually, juvenile diabetes is as common as pediatric OCD. So they are on the same level as far as how often it impacts kids. And yet we don't hear as much about pediatric OCD and it's misdiagnosed, but that's a totally separate podcast. So let me stay focused. But the point is when our child is diagnosed with diabetes, we don't say, okay, let me take him to the doctor. Let me get rid of this diabetes and let me move on. No, we say, oh my gosh. Okay. What are the dietary changes we need to make? What are the parenting changes I need to make? Maybe I have to teach my child to check their sugar levels. Maybe I have to teach them to do their own injections because we want them to feel empowered. Maybe we have to adapt the way we live or adapt our lifestyle, right? Same exact thing with anxiety and OCD. We have to initially kind of give their dosage of therapy or ERP, exposure response prevention, but then we have to develop and adapt our lifestyle. So if you're all in with that, let's talk about how you do that and why it's, well, we already talked about the why. Let's talk about how you do that and when to start. I'll start with saying that it is never too early to start. <laughs> Don't have a wait and see approach. I, I really cringe when I hear therapists telling parents that their child's too young to, to work on OCD or anxiety or pediatricians who say, you know, let's just wait and see, or they normalize it 
and they wait until it's like super abnormal and then go, yeah, you know, she should have grown out of that by now. So that is a concern. So the earlier, the better. And that doesn't mean necessarily the earlier, the better you have to get them into treatment. Although the extra support can be super nice for people, but start educating your child early when you know, when you're seeing signs of anxiety or OCD, and it's really not rocket science, especially if one of you, you or your partner has it, you're going to see it. You don't need to wait for a diagnosis to start working on these things. So reading books can help. Um, watching my YouTube videos for some of the kids that are a little bit older, that can help start having a dialogue about it. I've started talking about anxiety and OCD really early on with my kids, more so anxiety. And then when they started to show OCD symptoms, we pivoted and we started talking about what that is as well. I wasn't going to talk about it until I started to see symptoms. And then when they started to pop up pretty early on, we started to talk about that as well. So it's not what you should be doing. It's what you're teaching your child to be doing. And there is a difference. Does that make sense? So a lot of times we're doing things to our kids. We're like, brush your teeth. And we may not be going into, some of you might be, but you know, we may not be going into the details of, and you really want to get in the back and you really, you know, there's going to be cavities. And I mean, I guess that's probably actually a bad analogy. <laughs> Let me think of a different one. I don't know. We may not go into the full details of why they need to eat their green beans. You know, some of you might, but you get my point. Sometimes we're doing things to our kids, but we're not explaining why. And when I'm teaching kids in my therapy practice, and you could totally do this too, you don't have to be skilled to do this. You just have to learn to do it. I'm not doing things to those kids. So I'm not saying here, I want you to do this challenge and I want you to do this and tell me, you know, like what scares you the most. And then I figure out your anxiety or OCD. And then I tell you how to fix it. I tell kids, I'm going to train you to be your own best anxiety and OCD therapist. And I could be talking to a five-year-old and I'd say that to a five-year-old. I'm going to train you. I, I say it in a different way. But I might say, I'm going to train you how to beat your Mr. Bossy back or how to beat your worry cloud back because you're awesome and we don't want Mr. Bossy to ruin that awesomeness that you are. And I do spend a lot of time talking about how amazing they are because I want kids with anxiety and OCD to know that they have some superpowers. So early on, I start talking about their superpowers and helping them reframe this feeling of being cursed by having anxiety or OCD. So with my kids, I've said, you know, anxiety and OCD run in our family and so does diabetes actually, ironically, but I wouldn't trade that for the world. Even though it brings a lot of struggles to all of us, the good things are pretty amazing too. Like your kind heart, you know, that's part of having an anxious personality or your ability to see that someone is having a hard time, you know, across the room that you pick up on that sooner than the rest of the kids do. That's amazing. So we want to highlight that kind of stuff while we empower them to tackle the stuff that is really overwhelming. So having that language, and really, I'm going to give you some broad strokes today. There's no way that in a simple podcast, I'm going to be able to train you and give you all the tools to be able to do this at home. This is more like a big spotlight that I'm putting on this topic to say, hey, this should be on your radar to empower your kids to help themselves. So when you're developing their skills, you slowly want to start pulling back over time and give them the choices. So once they have those skills, whether a therapist has helped them develop it or whether you have learned the stuff yourself, I have plenty of kind of DIY online classes that help parents learn these things themselves or with the support of a therapist, you want to start to pull back. And this is what I do with kids in my practice and with my own kids. When they start to get the beat, 
you know, and we're doing exposures or we're doing challenges to really help them face their fears. I start to pull back and then I'll say, where do you want to go from here? What do you want to work on next? And so sometimes kids are like, wait, what? (laughs) Isn't that your job? Aren't you supposed to tell me? And I'll say, as you make progress, I'm pulling back because you're the one in the driver's seat. I'm in the passenger seat. Actually, I'm in the back seat and your parents are in the passenger seat coaching you. And I'm just in the back seat, making sure everything's going well. And you're the one driving. So you get to decide because this is your life. Like we're all going to retire to Florida. Maybe not. (laughs) We're going to retire to Uh, where do I want to retire to (laughs) somewhere in the Caribbean? And you're going to, you're going to be the one with anxiety and OCD, right? Like we're not following you. This is going to follow you. And we want to make sure that you know how to tackle it so that a lot of times I'll say to kids, I'm helping you right now when you're 10, but I'm also helping the 20 year version of you. I'm helping the 30 year old version of you. I want it to be that if you don't really want to go see a therapist, you don't need to, because you have the skills. You're just going to go there for some extra support but you got this, you know what you need to do. You know how to do it. That's what I want for you. And we want to talk to our kids like that over time. We don't start talking to them like this in the very beginning, because that can be very overwhelming, but you want to pivot and you want to eventually give them the baton to empower themselves. So I'll give you an example of what this would look like over time. My poor kids, you know, having me as a mom, we talk about anxiety and OCD a lot, But I'm starting to see the benefits of this independence that I've been fostering forever. So I'll give you an example. I have a couple examples to give you just so that you can see what this looks like in action instead of just this abstract idea of like empowering my kids. I don't get it. Like, yeah, I I agree with it, but like, how am I supposed to do that? So we'll talk about my eight-year-old. She is going back to school in person tomorrow and she's really nervous. My kids really want to go back to school in person. And I have very, very mixed feelings about it, but our area is doing well right now. You know, all three of my kids have really, really suffered by being home. It hasn't helped their anxiety or OCD. It hasn't helped, you know, my eight-year-old super social and needs to be around people. So she's getting very nervous and all of her old OCD stuff is coming back. And it started a couple of nights ago. And so today she said, mom, I have been feeling really sick to my stomach. I don't know why I keep feeling really sick to my stomach. And yesterday I felt really sick to my stomach, you know, and I'm like, "Uh, duh, you know, like this is not rocket science. And so I said to her, instead of saying, duh, this is not rocket science. Although I think I did say it's not rocket science to her today. But initially I said to her, why do you think your stomach hurts? You know, so instead of spoon feeding her the answer, of course your stomach hurts, like school starting tomorrow. This is what your anxiety does. I wanted to elicit her response because when we throw it back at our kids and we make them think about it, then we're really hardwiring those skills because connecting the dots is a very important skill that we want to eventually teach our kids. So we're teaching them language. We're teaching them how to spot anxiety and OCD. So it's good to teach them all different kinds of themes. People think that they're like contagious. If my child learns more about anxiety and OCD, they're going to copy those themes and then we're going to have more problems. The pros outweigh the cons on that. If my child's going to have a theme, they're going to have a theme anyway, and it can be triggered by anything. So I don't want to tiptoe around anxiety and OCD and not let them know any themes because their anxiety or OCD might glum onto that. That's going to happen anyway. A teacher can make a comment and then boom, now they have a new theme related to their fears. So that was a total side note tangent, but I just want to mention that. So I said to her, well, why do you think your stomach hurts? 
And then she thought about it for a minute, which I was like, come on, are you kidding me? And then she said, you know, maybe, maybe it's because I'm nervous about school. And so then I said, "Mm, that, that makes a lot of sense. So what are your red thoughts? And if you take in my anxiety class, I talk about red thoughts and green thoughts. I don't do that for OCD because I really don't approach OCD with a strong cognitive approach. It's more just pure behavioral um, with a little bit of cognitive sprinkled in, but in a different sort of way. But with red thoughts and green thoughts, that's what I do with anxiety. And I know, I knew where she was headed. She has a metaphobia, the fear of throwing up and which can teeter into the OCD world. But for her, it's very much an anxiety thing because she has social anxiety. And what if I throw up and that's going to be embarrassing and people won't like me. So I said to her, so what are your red thoughts? And because I've trained her really well, and we've done this for a long time, she just went right into, well, my red thoughts are, you know, what if, what if I throw up and what if everybody sees me? And so then I said, well, what are your green thoughts? So I'm prompting her. She does this on her own. She had a panic attack a couple of weeks ago. I was taking her thrifting. She was actually already not doing well. And she was getting kind of agoraphobic, but she wanted to leave the house. And so her and I like to thrift shop. And so I said, let's go pop some tags because we like that song. (laughs) So she's like, okay, that's a good idea. And I said, let's just do it as an exposure. So for those of you that don't know what exposure is, it's part of like ERP, exposure response prevention, which is the gold standard treatment for OCD, but also very powerful for anxiety. So we went out to the thrift store and I've told this, I think I told this story already on the podcast, but she was, she started to have a panic attack and then she looked better. I was getting a little anxious myself because panic attacks really trigger me because I used to have panic attacks. So I get very overwhelmed seeing her have them. I think we have this like weird connection because like my stomach hurt for the last two days too. I didn't mention that to her, but like, I feel like I feel her pain. (laughs) I'm like an empath. So I was getting panicky in the Goodwill, but I try to like look like I'm solid. And, but then she got better. I was like, oh my gosh, look at that car. And it was like this very cool, like Barbie car, but it was like a bug, you know, one of the bugs. And so I asked her later, I said, how did you, how did you get better? Cause you got better really quick. And she said, mom, I just did my red thoughts and green thoughts. And then I moved on. So I didn't even know she was doing those. That's what I mean by empowering our kids to do these things themselves eventually. And the reason why she's doing that is because when she does have a problem, I don't swoop in and say, well, you know, honey, you're going to be fine. You know, you always worry about throwing up and you're always fine. And so don't worry about it. I didn't do that because if I did, I'm not teaching her how to think her way out of her own anxiety. And so we walked her through it or I walked her through it instead. And I said, what are your green thoughts? And then she was like, well, initially she actually said, I won't get sick. And that's not what we do at my house. We kind of embrace the worst case scenario, especially when it comes to like the fear of throw up. And so I said, have I trained you better than that? And then she looked at me, she kind of smirked and she said, I know if I throw up, I'll be okay anyway. What's the worst thing that can happen? You know, I'll go to the nurse or if my friends don't like me because I throw up, then they're not really my friends. So we went through this again. She did. I didn't do anything. And then I suggested to her some options and I said, well, it's up to you. But to me, it sounds like you're going to feel sick all day long and that's okay. So, you know, telling your O-Cloud, you know, I'm going to just feel sick today because that's what you're going to do to me, but it's fine. I'm not going to like keep fighting the feeling of nausea. It just is what it is. And then I said, and you could either, like you could go write down your red thoughts and green thoughts because I've done that with her before and that's really helped. I said, you could do a video 
where you record your red thoughts and green thoughts, or you talk to yourself and then you can keep playing it back. And then she was just like, nah, you know, I think I'll just say them out loud. I'm like, okay. So I'm not forcing her to do anything. I'm giving her some options and I'm not swooping in and trying to fix it. And I'm trying not to absorb her anxiety and make it my own. Right. So there's an example of an eight-year-old who's been very, very well-trained because unfortunately she has me as a mom, (laughs) fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to view it. And she's eight and she is solid. She does not need my help. I just have to give her some prompts and she knows what she needs to do to work through it. So we started doing stuff like that at four. We started calling it her worry cloud at four and we started doing exposures at five. And then she came up with new themes all the time. She has OCD around sensory motor OCD and the need to frequently pee. And she has a blood issue where we couldn't even say the word blood. She couldn't even see like an emoji with blood. So she's, she like her OCD will morph over time and her anxiety will morph, but these skills remain. She knows that if she has a blood issue, we have to do exposures because that's how we, we deal with the OCD version of that. So that's an example of how you kind of want to get them to start doing things themselves. I'll give you another example really quick because I think examples are really helpful for you to kind of visualize what I'm talking about. Now, my son, who's 10, he's been trickier because he's not as articulate. His emotional intelligence isn't as strong as hers. He's very logical thinking and they're just, they're wired differently. And his anxiety has been very high lately. His OCD has gotten better, but his anxiety has gotten very high. And he's, he's 10. So he's watching things Well, he's almost 11. So he's, you know, he's seeing things on YouTube, even though we, you know, we can't cocoon our kids, but he'll see an ad for something or kids will talk about something and it'll freak him out. And so he said to me last night, he said, mom, I watched this like YouTube video that debunked this. I can't even remember what the story is. I know it's a, it's a big deal because on my YouTube channel, I see kids talking about it a lot when I ask them what they're afraid of some like urban legend that there's a lot of urban legends that are circulating like they always have, but they're different ones than my old fart ones. And he said, I watched a YouTube video that debunked it. And then I went back and I watched the original video, which I was like, are you kidding me? Like, why would you fill that with your brain? Like we have talked about this before. So I did get annoyed with him. And I was like, don't fill your brain with that kind of stuff. He's like, mom, it was an exposure, (laughs) you know? And he was like, when I did that, it was kind of like the thing that we did a long time ago. So he had a problem with Nightmare on Elm Street and Freddy Krueger a long time ago. And he, with his OCD, he gets like images that get stuck in his head and then he like can't get them out. So it's not anxiety. It's more like the image is like an intrusive image and he can't, it just replays over and over again. And so we've done exposures when he has an image or a song that gets stuck in his head where we will do an exposure where he will look at that image over and over. And so for Freddy Cougar, we started off with, I found a YouTube video of someone who did like a makeup tutorial. So they looked normal. And then we watched them put the makeup on a Freddy Krueger. And then we moved on to just images of Freddy Krueger that were just scary. And then I just had him watch, like look at Freddy Krueger images for that week. And then like within three days, that issue was gone. But as I'm doing these exposures with him, or like when I'm doing it with kids in my practice, I'm also explaining the process, why we're doing this, how it's helping his brain and how he could do this with any image or any problem. So you want to generalize and normalize what you're doing with your kids. So like, let's say your child has an intrusive thought and they need to seek reassurance and they say, mom, 
you know, I thought that I was going to call you fat in my head and I'm so sorry because you're not fat. We would want to, you know, set up an exposure and say, okay, when we're having an intrusive thought that says we're going to do something, let's just call it Mr. Bossy for now. Like, okay, your Mr. Bossy's telling you you're a bad person and your Mr. Bossy's telling you like, oh my gosh, you might, you almost called your mom fat or you almost lied to her or you hate her guts or you're going to steal that, whatever it is, right? You teach your child that that's what Mr. Bossy does. He will make you think that you're going to do things that you're not. And the way that we beat him is we poke back at him and we go, oh my gosh, okay, then I'm going to do this. You know, I'm going to call my mom fat. And we're going to do exposures where you call me fat to show Mr. Bossy that that thought doesn't bother you anymore. And you can do that with anything. So if Mr. Bossy tells you that you thought your friends were like horrible friends, or you had this thought for a minute that, you know, why are you friends with somebody? Because she's so ugly, right? Because that's what, that's what moral OCD does. It makes you have thoughts that are that upset you because they don't align with your beliefs, then we're going to do an exposure for that. Or you can say, yep, I think she's horrible. You're right. She is so ugly. So you're teaching them how to generalize the approaches that you're learning either in therapy or on your own so that they can do it for other stuff. Often we hyper-focus on just the one issue and we're not teaching our kids to, to learn how to generalize it. And so when I'm doing these approaches in therapy or with my own kids, I always sprinkle in language that says you could do this with any image or you could do this with any thought, any thought that Mr. Bossy gives you that's upsetting. You can do this with him. You can like poke back or be sarcastic or we can make fun of him. Right? So that really helps them and it empowers them to be able to do these things themselves. So then my son came back, going back to my story, he linked those together. And he said, remember when we were doing Freddy Krueger a long time ago? Well, that's what this was, mom. I went back and I watched the video, the original video. And now that doesn't scare me. And not only does that not scare me, he goes, but actually all those kind of stories don't scare me because it was an exposure. And at first I thought he was blowing smoke up my butt because I was like, really? You're just saying that because it sounds really good. And you know that this OCD mom is going to be like, oh, that's so good. I'm so proud of you. But then when he kept talking about it, I was like, he's right. That actually was an exposure for him. And he's been starting to do his own exposures and he's been doing his own anxiety challenges. He has been afraid of like going into his closet. And lately he's like, I'm just going to open up my closet, mom. You know, I'm just going to do it. So it doesn't happen all the time. Let me not paint a beautiful picture going on at my house. It is a bumpy road, but over time, long-term, my kids and the kids I work with and the kids that I help online like they're going to be solid when they're 20. They're going to know because I've talked to those kids and they're like, oh, Natasha, like my core fear has been this, you know? And so I'm, I've been doing these compulsions. These are my compulsions. And so I did this exposure and, you know, in that week, like that issue went away and it's impressive. It's impressive to see those skills develop. I recommend using real words. So if you're learning words from a therapist or you're learning them through books or through my online classes, even when they're like six, seven, or eight, use the real words and explain it to them. And so I want a kid to know what a compulsion is. I want them to know what an intrusive thought is. I want them to know what ERP is. I want them to have language so that when they go maybe and see a therapist in their 20s or they are reading a book, the kid words that we're using wouldn't make sense. And so they wouldn't know how to translate that. You know, So you're talking to me about bad thoughts and you're talking to me about habits or rules that I have to do because as parents, we like to sugarcoat these things. We feel uncomfortable. I think sometimes using these clinical words because we don't want to pathologize our kids. 
And so we baby them up and we give them baby words. And then they don't know how to translate that into adult words or treatment words when they get older. So we can do them a solid and we can actually use real words. It doesn't mean that we don't baby them up, but we pair them up. So I will say things like, Mr. Boss, he's going to boss you around. He's going to tell you you have to do things. He's going to give you rules. He's going to give you compulsions. And so I'll use different words and then I'll throw in the technical word as well. So they have that language or we're going to do a challenge. Let's do a challenge. It's, we're going to do an exposure. Those are the same thing. So we're teaching them, or you can have a bad thought. We call that an intrusive thought. Do you know what an, an intruder is, right? Intruders, like someone who like comes in. Well, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to normalize that word intrusive. And we're going to then teach them that an intrusive thought is like a bad thought because it's like intruding in your happiness. So those are some of the things that I want you to get from this episode is just the importance of empowering your kids, giving them like kind of backing up as you build their skills and letting them do more and more, let them control it, let them drive it. And then also creating your home environment where you talk about this in a natural sort of way. So developing challenges and having them create their own challenges, gamifying it, letting them have points and earning things. In my house, we don't do chores. Well, let me take that back. In my house, my kids are not getting allowance because they're doing chores. They have responsibilities. They need to do them. We all have to pitch in. If you leave your plate there, I'm going to have a problem. You need to throw your plate in the sink. If you play with your Barbies and you leave them on the floor, I'm going to have a problem with that. You need to clean up your Barbies. And ironically, because I don't really make chores like a big deal, a lot of times, especially my youngest, like she wants to mop the floor. <laughs> it's kind of weird. She's she's like a mini me. Like I like things clean. Not because it's an intrusive thought or feeling, but I, it makes my anxiety feel better when things are in order. And I think she's the same way, but they're doing their own challenges and they're doing their own exposures and they're starting to pick all that up. But also I am supporting that by creating a therapeutic environment in my house where they know they can earn points when they do exposure. So if they want something and right now they really want a lot of Robux and they play Minecraft and they, sometimes they want new skins or they want a server or they want, I don't even understand it, but they want something related to that. And so they don't even have to ask. They know that if they want it, they're going to have to pay for it. And the way that they can pay for it is through points. And the way they earn points is through doing exposures or challenges. See, I do that with you too. I use the right word and then I sprinkle in the other word. So when they are wanting something, they come to me and they say, mom, can I watch this throw up video? <laughs> you know, or, Mom, can I take a challenge? Cause I need to earn some points. So when you create that, your kids will eventually naturally start working on their anxiety or OCD because it's just part of the way that you run your house. And it's part of the way that they earn their privileges is through those points. So I like the app privilege app. I talk about that a lot because it's a chore app, but I've adapted it to use it for exposures. And it's really good because I can give them a point and then it shows up on their iPad. And so that's kind of a good Pavlovian reinforcer for them to see like, wow, I just did something brave and boom, I got a brave point right there. So I know I'm kind of rattling on, but I hope that I've inspired you to think about things in a different sort of way, not hide the anxiety or OCD, but tackle it, have conversations about it, keep it alive in your house. Not that you have to pathologize your kids, but that it's part of the normal routine of your life and it's embedded in how you talk and it's part of the way your kids earn things. And then their skills are going to be, they're going to be crazy good. And, and that doesn't mean they're going to do well all the time because my kids aren't, don't always do well. My daughter's not doing well right, right now. Today is a rough day for her, but 
it's nice to see that she's got skills, right? It doesn't mean that it's going to go well tomorrow. I don't know how it's going to go, but it may not go well. I did email her teacher and the principal because it's a new school. And I was like, hello, let me introduce you to me and my child. Let me CC the nurse because the nurse might get to know her pretty well. So, but I, I know that she has skills and that's all that matters. We have to lower our expectations that just because our kids have skills doesn't mean they're always going to do well, but it's a muscle and it's a muscle they're practicing and they're flexing and they're growing. And I want them to have big anxiety and OCD muscles by the time they're adults. And I want that for your kids as well. So go build those muscles. So I hope that you find this episode helpful. And if you have, it's always nice to give back by hitting a star on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast. If you have a few extra minutes, if you can leave a review, I greatly appreciate that. And parents greatly appreciate that because it tells them that they're not going to be wasting their time. They're going to find some value in my episodes. So I hope that you join me in the three-part video series coming up in October. I am excited to get to know you better and dive deep into your problems. Don't forget to register for that by texting the word survival tools to the number 44222. And don't forget to put the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 